Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. This is Fresh Hop Cinema. My name is Max Minardi. And I am Johnny Summers. What's shaking? Johnny Summers, as we get going here, I had a question for you, and it is a bit of a riddle. I'd love if you could tell me what do the Beatles, uh, that movie with Oz in it, um, rape revenge thrillers, and Pink Floyd all have in common? Well, it's obviously this episode. That's exactly right. It is this episode, which is to say, if you've never heard our show before, we cover new beers, new movies each and every week. And if you want to know where to find us on the internet, the handsome man whose voice you'll hear after this will tell you exactly where to find us. Yeah. Who is also handsome and good at riddles. That was <laughs> you nailed it, man. It was so good. It just dominated that riddle. Bro. To be fair, I don't know what else it could have been. Like if there is a conspiracy <laughs> out there, like I hope one is born out of this where it's like all of those things are also this other thing. But for now, yeah, you, you're probably right. Just the episode. Yeah, we're part of the conspiracy now. Uh, no, where you can find us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on the Apple Poopcasts uh, Instagram and Twitter at Fresh Hop Cinema, Letterboxed and Untapped at Fresh Hop Cinema. Email us. Your thoughts, comments, concerns, prayers, best wishes, that sure. sort of thing. Uh, FHCcast, C-A-S-T, FHCcast at gmail.com. Patreon.com slash Fresh Hop Cinema is how we fund this bad boy. Mm-hmm. Keep buying beers and watching movies and doing this because, believe it or not, this isn't our full-time job. As amazing as this podcast sounds, <laughs> thank you, Max. This is not our full-time job. This is just a part-time gig. So uh, our patrons really help us out financially and we try to help them out um sexually no entertainment wise oh yes yes with, of course uh, you know reviews and free stuff and we got some pint glasses coming spoiler alert yeah that's exciting uh so yeah if you want to get in on that it's little as a dollar an episode four bucks a month you can help keep this delicious ear candy going please do it it's a fun community we've bought it's got some really cool people in patreon uh, and I am looking forward to once the world calms down and we can get together safely, having bottle shares and parties and barbecues. And it's just a fun community. Yeah. So if you like what you're hearing and you want to be more involved, you should look into Patreon. Yeah. Speaking of Patreon, um, we do we did have a patron birthday this this past week. It was on, on Monday and we're this will be coming out Friday. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to Zach Staggs. Happy birthday, dude. Thanks for your support. As always, um, another patron note, check your feeds on Sunday, the 21st. We're going to have a bonus beer review of something I got in Auburn at Knee Deep when I was there a couple weeks ago. So we, we recorded it in advance to make sure we drank it fresh. Um, and then very lastly for Patreon, uh, all of our day drinkers, which are our $3 and up, um, make sure to go vote in the poll. We're having a virtual movie night on the 20, I believe it's the 27th. So vote in that if you want to have a say, if not show up with a beer and we'll all be chatting along, uh, via a secret, secret messaging app that I'm sure any, anybody could guess, but it'll be a good time. If you care about that, make sure to vote in that poll. It is in Patreon right now. I think that's all the housekeeping I have. Johnny Summers, what are we uh, going to be drinking this week? Same brewery, and I think for the first time, uh, two variations of a same beer that your your very nice eye caught while you were shopping for us this week. Yeah, so I was out and about, and a lot of places around town have been getting a bunch of fresh cans from a brewery that we both, I think, know. I know we know, and I sure. think we both really enjoy, which is Hen House Brewing out of Petaluma. Mm-hmm. They're the other brewery in Petaluma, you know. Other than uh, what's it's Lagunitas, that one it is Lagunitas. Oh, right? that one. That's right. Yeah, okay. I always forget about them. I'm, I'm sure you don't. Not really. <laughs> no, 
Uh, so yeah, I was shopping around and Spike's Bottle Shop had a bunch of them. If you know the show at all or know Chico, you know it's one of our favorite places to snag beers. And they had a ton of Hen House cans. They had probably six, maybe even eight different beers from them, relatively new. They had some like darker stuff that I'd never even seen before. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Hen House canned dark beers. So that was kind of fun. Uh, so I you know, did a quick Google. We hadn't done Hen House in quite a while. Yeah, I don't even remember decided- when. Yeah, it, it had been a hot minute, so I decided on that brewery. Uh, as you know, it's fun to... We've been trying to do two beers from the same brewery to kind of contrast their styles mm-hmm. or highlight what they do well. Um, and we ended up... I ended up picking two IPAs. Uh, they're both similar in that the first one is a single IPA, and the second beer we're going to review is just a double IPA version of that same base beer. So the first beer that we're getting into today is... The Walrus is Paul. It's an IPA from Hen House Brewing, like I said. And according to our notes, it does not have an ABV. Yeah, you know, I didn't have the can in front of me when I made the notes. Um, so I was going to just check it here. It's 6.3%. I just wanted to make sure what I was looking at was correct. So Ooh, I just wanted to get it off it. of the can. You found it quicker than me. Yeah. So this is a 6.3% ABV. It was canned on 2-1-21. So this bad boy is like two weeks old weeks. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not mad at that. Uh, I, I, so. it's on the can as well, but I figured I'd just ask you to read it. So I put it in front of you. What does, what does the can say? And cause I feel like the walrus is Paul is a strange name. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talk of, of conspiracies on the show this week. Um, so we'll get yeah. into the first one, which is you bet your bottom dollar has to do with the walrus is Paul. All right, buckle up. There's a lot of words coming at you. <gasps> as we all know, in 1966, Paul McCartney died in a car accident and was replaced by a young lookalike named Billy Shears, often referred to as faux Paul or simply fall. <laughs> yeah. There was, this was a calculated move by the band, their manager, and MI6, who enjoyed the distraction Beatlemania provided. The band then retired from public performance and began their studio years. They reluctantly... Asc- what is that word? It says acceded. Okay. Couldn't tell you. I guess I could look... I'll, I do know it. Let that, me just think about that's, it that's in not my a, brain that's for not a like a typo or anything? I'd be willing to bet it's not. Henhouse seems like they have their okay. stuff together. They reluctant. They have a bigger vocabulary than me. Apparently. Than both of us combined. Uh, but just so, yeah. so everybody knows, it's a agree to a demand. Basically, sort of like I, I, I accept this treaty. Yes, I accede. I accede this, uh, you know, request. I'm disinclined to acquiesce <laughs> your request. Oh, uh, pirates of the Caribbean reluct- cut. Okay. Yep. Deep cut there. They reluctantly acceded to this deception, but their guilt overcame them, and they began leaking hints at the truth in hidden backwards recordings and album cover art. John even sang the line, here's another clue for you all, the walrus is Paul. The walrus being the Scandinavian avatar of death. Okay. The question isn't, who's Paul? We know that. It's been decades after all, and fall has been Paul longer than Paul was Paul. And certainly fall has been Paul longer than Billy was Billy. Nice. The question is, what is Paul? A man from Liverpool? Or an idea. This IPA is made with Centennial and Pacific Jade hops. Right. I want to take your attention really quickly to the label itself. I have this tendency of when I see Hen House hand, <laughs> here we go, Hen House cans, like they they do a really good job of, I mean, first of all, their name is on the side, so they're very recognizable that way, but they're always sort of like a, um, like a silver kind of shiny sticker. And then there's artwork always featuring a hen or a rooster on the front. And I've never really taken the time to, to look into what that was or like maybe who did it. Um, but we reached out to, to hen house, by the way, if that's not clear yet. Um, and the guy that got back to us, Bob, shout out to Bob, um, also provided us with the label info and I'm going to read what they had in their email. And it says for this one in particular, 
This J.J. Stapes masterwork features our hen reimagined as each of the Fab Four, the Beatles, uh, in the drawing style of the Beatles' psychedelic animated feature film, Yellow Submarine. In the background are lots of little characters from the film with little hen house beer details added to them lurking in the background near the walrus, the Scandinavian avatar of death, like you said, um, that Paul dressed up as on the album cover for Magical Mystery Tour back in 76. A lot of detail is the point I'm trying to make. It's a great looking can, a lot of fun, um, and one that I think was worth bringing attention to. Absolutely. I have a hot take. Yeah. I hate the Beatles. Oh, it's not a hot take at all, my friend. I knew we were friends for a reason. I don't like the Beatles either. Now, I, mine, mine has an asterisk because I know people are already mad. Um, I feel the similar way about the Beatles as I do about like, I don't know, um, Bob Dylan. Like, I don't like listening to him. I really appreciate his lyricism. Like I appreciate what the Beatles did as a band and like the groundbreakingness and like the amazing songwriting. I just don't like their voices and I don't like that type of music in general. Sure. Yeah. So that's pretty much same. Uh, I definitely was more, and was more say that like I was around back then. Oh, I was more of a stones guy. <laughs> um, no, I like the stones a little bit more, but like, I do like Bob Dylan, but yeah, I just never was able to get into the Beatles. There's like three songs that I like. And the rest of it for me is just like meh yeah, at best. So obviously that's a hot take uh, for a lot of the world. But I think, you know, honestly, the Beatles are kind of a polarizing band for as far as just friends so. that I have. It's, it's really black or white with them. So I don't know. That's enough about the Beatles because yeah. they're old. Yeah. And there's like, what, one of them left? I don't, well, that's debatable, isn't it? Depending on where we think right? Paul is. Um, which is all to say, if you didn't recognize, um, Johnny was speaking in his conspiracy tone of voice in the beginning, as was the description of the can written. Um, if you didn't know, there is this big conspiracy that states that Paul McCartney, the singer, bassist, songwriter, uh, perhaps the imposter, um, since the mid-60s, there's been this rumor that uh, he died in a car wreck and then was replaced in in his band, in the Beatles, and in his actual life. And there's quote unquote evidence for this everywhere. There's like, I found a list. Um, I have it in front of me. It's on headstuff.org. It's called who is the walrus? The Beatles conspiracy breaks it down. There's literally like a hundred points of evidence that people make for this fact. Some of the more um, obvious ones are like Paul is shoeless on the cover of Abbey road, the album cover. And that represents him being dead because in the middle Eastern culture that they were referencing in one of the songs, that is how people are buried. Um, certain roses on Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club are arranged in like a funeral fashion. There are certain songs that if you play them backwards, reveal secret confessions. It's as conspiracy theories go. It does seem like there's a lot of water to be held in this particular one, which I had never heard of. And I know, I guess it's pretty well, well documented, but I had you heard about this before. Um, I remember hearing about it once, like a long time ago, Okay, but not really. It wasn't anything that really held any weight or like stuck in my brain. I'm like, well, that's crazy making. I'm just going to ignore that. I guess you'd care more if you were a big diehard Beatles fan, I would assume. Yeah, I would imagine this would have much more gravity in your your life, but for me, it was it was easily disregarded. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It's, I it, it's a fun conspiracy. It's one like if it's true, and they've maintained the charade for you know a really long time because then this happened in what sixty six. Sure. That's yeah. that would be crazy if they were able to to keep that like a as well documented as it apparently is for it to maybe actually be true would be absolutely nutty. Now I will I will accede that. I will also say that despite a lack of knowledge of this conspiracy, and I do declare that even if you did know everything about this conspiracy, it might not affect your drinking experience with this beer too much. So I'm gonna bring it back around. Um, mine's in my glass. I've smelled it, have not tasted it. Have you happened to try the Walrus's Paul yet, sir? I have I have done both. Okay. This beer is is very big. 
man, like the just the nose alone is like, whoa, it is very mm, in your face. You're going to get there's a ton of hops in there. I mean, obviously it's an IPA, but yeah, it's really big, bright nose, smells almost a little tropical, very, very hoppy. And it is. It's very, very hoppy. It's entirely more bitter than I thought it was going to be because looking at this beer, it pours almost hazy. And I was anticipating uh, a bit more sweetness out of it, but it is, in fact, very bitter, which I like. It's bitter in a good way. Yeah. So I'm I'm enjoying it. It's pretty well balanced. It's definitely um, like a West Coast IPA. This is not in, I would say, anyway. It's like an unfiltered West Coast. That's the closest thing. Uh, I would identify this as it does not share any really flavor profile with like a, a New England or a hazy. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I was. I'm, and we also chatted with Bob a little bit about about the hops used in this. And and there's Centennial in here, but also Pacific Jade hops. And maybe we can talk about those in a minute. Um, and I think those are the ones that are shining through. And we can talk about sort of flavor comparisons because I do think like it's it's not like many IPAs that I've had. I agree with you. It's not like it looks kind of hazy if you just hold it up in the glass, but it doesn't really have it. It's got tons of hoppiness. I'd say there's some sweetness too, but it's not like, um, like for example, the other night I had a, uh, an Imperial New England IPA from Fieldwork that was just like, just so I didn't like it, which was a huge bummer, but it was just so sweet and not even close to a hoppy experience at all. And this is much more in that vein. I, I like it a lot, man. And I think it's probably yeah. those Pacific Jade hops. I agree. This is really tasty. Do you want to know more about the the wonder that is the Pacific Jade Hop? Thought you'd never ask. Man, it is. Uh, it's up there as far as one of my favorite New Zealand hops. Mm. I I really dig Pacific Jade. This one was introduced to the market back in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really fun hop. It's got a lot of aroma. You're gonna be looking for. Um, it's spicy, and uh, depending on when they add it into a beer, this can actually. Tastes a lot like cracked black pepper. Mm. Um, obviously, very citrusy, uh, little herbal. Um, but it, like I said, it depends. Um, not to get too geeky, um, but it's a, it's a high alpha hop. So yeah. when you added it to the boil, it creates more like a soft bitterness. Uh, but if you add it later in the boil, uh, it will actually bring out like the herbs and the pepperiness and the lemon and the citrus. So I don't know when they added it, but I know that I'm getting a bunch of things and it's not overwhelmingly peppery. No. So I'm imagining this was was added fairly early in the boil. Uh, so you get like a soft bitterness, if that makes sense. It's not overwhelming and like pointy and bitey. It's like a soft, like subtle, like it eases you into it. It's it's a drinkable bitterness. Yeah, I really like it, man. I I was just thinking about this when you were sort of giving us the, the spiel on Hen House in the first place. Um, I don't think, because I know we've covered them at least once, maybe twice on the show. And I don't think either of us have ever been like, ugh, gross. Or like even sort of, it's fine. I think we've always come out pretty favorably on this on this brewery. And this definitely um, solidifies that opinion in my brain, at least. Like it feels really reliable at this point that I could just pick up, pick up a Hen House beer and be like, this is probably pretty good. Yeah, it, it felt like back in the day they seemed like they were kind of hit or miss, but it seems like I would say the last few years, every time I've picked up a hen house can, it's been like really good. Like there, like you said, there's been no misses, there's been no poopers in the bunch. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude. I don't know that there's too much that I'm mad about in this beer. I'm gonna go in for like a I think a third or fourth drink here and try to pick out some things that I don't like just in case they are lingering in the shadows, but um feeling really confident about a good rating on this beer. Yeah, me too. It's nice. It's it's definitely not mind blowing, uh, but it's uh, 
it's it's good. It's highly above average. Like it's this solid. Is, yeah, super solid. Like I think it's really interesting too because I've sort of my pendulum swung the opposite direction of yours in that like I'm almost kind of burnt out on the overly hoppy West Coast IPAs. So this one kind of toes that line where it's it's just kind of towards the middle of it where it's obviously a West Coast IPA. It's sort of you know right in that sweet spot of drinkability alcohol wise like six point three. This is like a great go-to beer, I think, because if what's a, what's one that's on or when places are open, like on tap around town, like Breaking Bud from Knee Deep, mm-hmm. like get rid of Breaking Bud forever and, and put this there and nobody's going to be mad. Yeah, exactly. And I I think I remember drinking this at Burgers and Brew at one point. That makes sense. They hook it up there. Nicki Miyagi, kill it. Mm-hmm. Great, great beers. Yeah. Shout outs. Um, okay. I went back for another drink. There's literally nothing I don't like aside from it, maybe finishing a little bit drier than I would love. Um, but it just makes me go back for another drink. So I can't really be too mad. Totally. How about you? Anything you're not loving? Uh, like you said, a little bit of the, the dryness, but I mean, that's to be expected with the beer, this mm-hmm. bitter, mm-hmm. like if you want like that mouthwatering finish, you're going to be getting into like juicy territory, I think. So yeah. I'm not necessarily, I wasn't anticipating, you know, nothing anything other than a dry finish so not entirely mad at it man it's a really well-made beer it's it's right up my alley stylistically as far as just the 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 drinkability the smoothness and the hot presence and the the bite uh of the bitterness that i, I really like this is something that i would reach for again 100 percent. yeah me too all right you want to give it a rating out of 10 yes i do this beer, oh, it's good, man. I'm, I'm not going to go crazy, but it's it's really solid. Right. I'm I'm definitely enjoying it. It's something I would reach for again. Like I said, uh, this is a beer I would have around my house for sure. Uh, it feels, ooh, feels like a like a seven nine for me. Ooh, yeah, okay, I know, I know. And if anybody hasn't heard the show, that means for Johnny, it's pretty pretty darn good. The exception is he's probably not going to go travel for it, but it's a great beer. I believe that translates to your number properly. Am I right? Hundred percent. Yeah, if you get into the eights, I'm I'm willing to drive like an hour for it. Um, I would not, but the fact that I can get this five minutes from my house, that's completely acceptable as well. Word. Yeah, I don't I don't use the same scale again. If there's any new listeners, maybe you don't know that. Um, I'm giving it a nine, man. I think this is super good. Like I would happily reach for this anytime I was craving a West Coast IPA uh, and wanted to have a few of them. It's super good, really well balanced. I'm also a sucker for mythology and like effort being put into backstories and labels. And like, I'm a, I just, I'm a sucker for marketing, I guess. Um, and they do a hell of a job. So yeah, Walrus is Paul nine for me, 7.9 for you. Do you have anything else uh, on this beer before we put hen house to a, to a Meyer, a Meyer, what do birds do? Do they, do they hibernate? Birds don't hibernate. Um, roost. They migrate. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well then they do, they do roost. Yeah. But is that this, sleeping the, or is that uh, like uh, sitting uh, in their nest? No, like, uh, like chickens go home to roost. Yeah. So we will let hen house migrate south and roost when it gets there, and we'll revisit them a little Chickens bit Chickens don't fucking migrate, man. That's true. <laughs> Chickens do, do not fly south <laughs> for the winter. You remember, that time, you remember that time that I thought eggs were dairy? Yes. I know nothing about birds is, I guess, the point. Chickens uh, okay. can fly, Bird, eggs are dairy, whatever. It's fine, man. Birds aren't actually real. The walrus is Paul. You know. It's all funny. conspiracies. Oh, um, <laughs> we should talk about birds not being real. We might as well. We'll get to that in, in maybe hot and bothered, but oh, I think we should man, stick on funny. this silly train and maybe talk about your flick pick. Do you want a trailer for Willy's Wonderland? Yes. Welcome to Willy's Wonderland. Spend the night cleaning Willy's Wonderland, and I will pay to have your car fixed. Deal. 
you are officially on staff. Let's get the hell out of here. I can't stand to hear a grown man scream. This place has a dark history. I know the bullshit story they told you. It's a lie. You're here to be a human sacrifice. Have you been listening to a word I've been saying? He's gonna die in here, but he won't listen to me. safe. Put your balls on, Evan. We're going to Willie's. He's not trapped in here with them. We're trapped in here with him. It's your birthday and we want you to It's birthday time. I enjoy a man a few words. <laughs> That was a trailer for Willie's Wonderland, an absolute ridiculous B-movie, over-the-top, cheesetastic thrill ride, complete with a possessed Chuck E. Cheese-style family restaurant that yeah. comes to life and tries to eat your face. <laughs> Stars Nicolas Cage and, uh, let's see, nobody else that I really recognize from anything. Yeah, okay. So pretty much just the stars Nicolas Cage. Uh, so the synopsis is, when his car breaks down, a quiet loner agrees to clean an abandoned family fun center in exchange for repairs. He soon finds himself waging war against possessed animatronic mascots while trapped inside Willie's Wonderland. That's great, man. I mean, the sounds, we've talked about Nick Cage in very favorable lights recently. I think, did we even discuss, I think we talked about him on, on a Patreon bonus content maybe one time. Um, cause we looked at his filmography and we talked about how there was this point where either he took himself or Hollywood took him very seriously. Um, and that was like national treasure and, and con air when he was trying to figure out if he was like an action star. And then at some point he, I think just was sort of like, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I want. And then we got things like Mandy mom and dad, this movie probably. Um, mm -hmm. and it's just seems like Nick Cage has really found his, his rhythm. And, and I mean, I guess I don't know if you like this movie yet cause you haven't necessarily said to our listeners, but I'm getting the vibe that this is right up your alley. And I'm, I'm hoping you can tell me good news. Oh, hundred percent. This movie was like made for me. I ate this up with a, you know, blood splattered spoon. Yeah. It was just an absolute laugh riot of just over the top boss fights and just ridiculous like kung fu moves and you know stabbing animatronic puppets with broom handles yeah. and yeah. just absolutely ridiculous it was an it was a dream of a b movie it was you know if like attack of the flying killer tomatoes or like some other ridiculous movie yeah. from the 70s or 80s like got remade and starred nicolas cage um yeah no if you like b horror movies or just nick cage in general uh, it's worth a watch for sure. I am going to say something and you tell me if it's spoilery or not. Okay. Nick Cage doesn't say a single word in this movie. <laughs> no, I think that's fine. You know, and why it's, not? It's Nick Cage. It's, sure. 
fucking awesome because at a certain point it just becomes like a running unspoken joke, literally. Like not one word. He grunts a couple times. Yeah. He dances. He plays pinball. He drinks a lot of soda. Um, there's kind of an, also an, another running joke of during this movie, like no matter what he's doing, like it's really important for him to take breaks while he's working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like his watch will go off and he'll just walk away just from whatever <laughs> he's doing. <laughs> including and go play including fighting? Including fighting. <laughs> it's hilarious. So there's just so much tongue in cheek goodness in this movie i think if if you like anything about what i've just said you you can't miss it it's not a serious movie it's not a great movie it had some cool special effects there was some really cool color schemes it was very like neon and then like faded there was just some really neat shots in this it's not going to win any awards but gosh darn it it'll win your heart that's fair, man. Yeah, again, it's Willy's Wonderland. It came out um, on video on demand uh, earlier in the month uh, or possibly in, in January. I had it in front of me. It doesn't matter. The point is it's available now. Um, where did you rent it, sir? I rented this on Vudu. Nice. Uh, you can also rent it on, on YouTube or, or Prime Video, I imagine, but I can't be sure because I didn't check Prime, but you can definitely do the other two. Um, any other thoughts on this before we get to our film of the week? Nope, I'm good, man. Okay, then I'm going to play a trailer for a film that I've been looking forward to for a very long time. It's a 2020 release called Promising Young Woman. We won't spoil it without giving you plenty of heads up. But until then, here's a trailer. My assistant tells me that you're interested in resuming med school. I left under unusual circumstances. Huh. You remember the accusations made against Alexander Monroe? I don't. He took a girl back to his room. We get accusations like this all the time. So it's a he said, she said situation. What would you have me do? Ruin a young man's life? (laughs) Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who she spoke to? You. Well, the doctor's here. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Really? <laughs> Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? <laughs> what do you want? I don't know. You seem nervous. Use hiding from the piper. Oh. She has to be paid. Why do you guys have to ruin everything? <laughs> it's a day of reckoning. For everyone. In a cinematic world, maybe not so different from ours, that oozes sentiments like boys will be boys, or she's basically asking for it, and we have to give these young men the benefit of the doubt. Something needs to change, and director Emerald Fennell knows it. The promising young woman of the title of this movie is Cassandra Thomas, played here by Carrie Mulligan, who, after the rape of her best friend, spends her nights blacked out drunk at bars, waiting for the latest in an endless pool of scumbags disguised as nice guys to offer to take care of her for the night. Predictably, uh, these nights rarely end with a high five and a cab ride home, and are much more often punctuated with a slurring Cassie splayed out on a bed with an eager ne'er-do-well doing his very best to get her clothes off just before she decides to let him in on her little secret 
She wasn't drunk in the first place, and he's about to become a proverbial notch in her bedpole. Though in this case, the bedpole is a small college-ruled notebook with color-coded fates of men who have tried to take advantage of her before. As usual, we again won't be spoiling anything from this film until we reach the danger zone. And with that caveat, I do want to throw it to you first, Johnny Summers. What did you think of Promising Young Woman? Oh, man. Well, I actually, I wrote down some thoughts today, mid-work day. And you so watched will, it yesterday. I, I watched it yesterday, okay. sat on it for a night, um, and I wrote down kind of a summation of my thoughts. I yeah. will regurgitate that to you now. Um, so, Promising Young Woman. Uh, it was a film that made me feel lots and lots of things. Uh, it definitely wasn't the feel-good hit of the summer. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. This is a film, it, I mean, it centers around rape culture, you know, society's pretty much complete disregard for women yeah. in general. Yep, uh, I'm especially, not yeah. especially victims of assault. Um, this also really focuses on the far-reaching ripples of trauma. Mm. Uh, and the links that some are willing to go in order to simply be heard, uh, you know, somehow attempting to make even a small difference. Uh, this movie is about daring to dream of justice, maybe a little. Mm. Uh, it's definitely about consent. There's tons of of commentary on representation, representation or lack thereof in mm-hmm. both college cultural culture, as well as, you know, later in life in the, in the workplace and things like that. It deals with things like victim blaming, boys clubs, and all things just icky and broy. Uh, it makes you think a lot, like a lot, a lot, and it makes me very sad and very frustrated. It left me a little bit emotional, and just it was a very, very kind of a tough watch. Um, all these emotions are just skillfully extracted mm. uh, by the director. I really liked the way it it kind of extracted emotions from me. Uh, this movie had a big point, and I think it got it across very clearly. Uh, in my opinion, it was definitely a flawed film. Uh, it definitely had some weak moments, and it kind of took me out of it a little bit. We'll mm. get into that. Uh, but this this film overall had a mission, and goddamn it, mission accomplished. <laughs> um, this film, it was necessarily dark and immensely heaven, heavy, given the subject matter. Yeah. Um, it was never over the top in visual shock. It was really more focused internally on like the mental and, and just overwhelming trauma and depression in the aftermath of an assault. Uh, there was one part of the second act that really felt forced and antithetical to the overall theme of this film, Mm. which was, there was a bit of a love story and we'll get into that. Uh, I don't know if that worked for you. For me, it didn't work. Um, Overall, not the best movie, but it had something really, really important to say, and I think I'm happy that this exists, and I think it did it well. Um, so overall, I thought it was pretty pretty darn good. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Carrie Mulligan. She's been in two of my favorite movies like of all time, um, one of them being 2011's Drive from Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, and then Inside Lou and Davis, a Coen Brothers film from 2013. And in both of those films, she's she's really good. She's playing supporting roles, but but very good. And, and my first thought when I was going into this was like, it's just so fucking cool to see her as, as like the lead in this film. And, and I'm not uh, a Carrie Mulligan. Um, you know, I haven't seen all of her work, but, um, I, this was the first movie in recent history that I knew she was sort of headlining. I was like, well, sure. I'm going to see it. I also think her character, Cassie is a damn hero. Like, you know, maybe not the hero we want, but the hero we need right now. And, and, and Carrie Mulligan just kills it pun intended, I suppose in, in that performance. Um, 
I also want to give a quick nod to the soundtrack. I thought that was great. Like, mm. I think I criticized the soundtrack of, um, it was the little things for being so on the nose last mm -hmm. week or the week before. And in a different sense, this was, this was on the nose too, but it was, it was narratively guiding you, but not in like a cheesy way. Like we're going to go get this guy. Now we're detectives. It was mm -hmm. just like, it, it helps build the environment that we were going to sit in for an hour and 54 minutes or whatever it is. Um, and there's some great cinematography. This, the DP here is uh, Benjamin, Benjamin Krakoon. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and I loved Bo Burnham. Like he's another person I wanted to shout out here. We can talk about who else is in this. Cause there's quite a few uh, notable names, but I love Bo Burnham. He's, he's mostly a stand-up comedian, but I think he did a really good job. Like the chemistry that he and, and Mulligan have here, like the moment he walks into the coffee shop, she works in and she like spits in his coffee and he drinks it. Like I was, I don't know. I was in for that. So I'm sure this will lead into our discussion of the, the romantic interest thing. If that wasn't clear, I, I don't know what's more romantic than spitting in somebody's coffee and drinking it, but that's clearly the romantic interest. Um, but I'm right there with you. Like heavy movie, really, really tough subject matter. I didn't come away feeling the same way you did. I don't think. Um, but again, we'll talk about that in spoiler territory. I, I like this a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up in my top 10 of 2020. Um, and I don't know how much more I can say without spoiling stuff, but I do have another question I wanted to, um, ask you in a second. Uh, but any feedback on what I said, anything you want to touch on before I move on? I, I'm going to agree with the soundtrack. The classical like strings arrangement oh, of Britney Spears oh, toxic <laughs> was fucking dope. Dude, I want to make like, a, I want to make a playlist on Spotify where like pop or, you know, like modern music gets turned into classical and it would be that song. And, uh, I got five on it from us. Yeah. So that that, man, so good. Ah, so good. Yeah. Yep. It's so slow. Like you don't notice it at first. You're like, what? And then you're like, what is that? I know that song. What is that? You know, I, it's funny. Cause I always watch movies with subtitles and I saw uh, yeah, yeah, classic, classical version of Britney Spears toxic. <laughs> and in my head, okay. I just read it real quick and yeah. it's a classic version. And I'm like, no it shit. Am yeah. I, am I, am I that old? that the original is now the classic version. Like yeah. it's not the remix. Right? Right, I'm right, like, right. And I was so relieved to hear the strings. I'm like, okay, good. They're not just calling it like classic rock right. now or something. Right. Like I feel like some kids now are like classic rock, like Blink-182. I'm like, ooh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. But you also know people in like 1850 were like classic music, like classic rock, Beethoven. And then everybody's yeah. like, no, 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 no. Like our folk band that we were in the pub in, you know, 1820, we were cutting our teeth. It's like every, everyone's mm -hmm. always said that about the whatever. We're just getting old. Exactly. We are. Damn it. So uh, this movie was really heavily marketed as like a revenge thriller or, or maybe dark comedy, but mostly a revenge thriller. And like my brain, when I hear that goes to movies like, uh, maybe I'm just on Denzel right now, but like the equalizer or, or Carrie or, or even Mandy. So we're talking about Nicholas cage, um, taken. Uh, oh, sure. Taken. And I think it's safe to say this movie isn't anything like those in the traditional slasher sense. Um, and despite that brutally dark subject matter you're talking about, like this film never gets gory though. Yeah. I think it easily could have turned into a conventional slasher, but in an interview with Collider, the director Emerald Fennell talked about wanting her protagonist to behave like a real woman might when faced with these similar circumstances. And from a statistics perspective, women don't often resort to violence, especially when up against a man, because those scales don't usually tip in the direction of the woman. Um, and we can absolutely talk about violence when we get to the danger zone, because I do think it needs to be discussed. But in the meantime, like, I, I don't know, how did, how did the Mulligan character Cassie's approach to doling out her vengeance and, and the film's approach to that vengeance in general work for you as like uh, a vengeance very, thriller? Uh, in the context of, of that, 
um, not it, it didn't quite follow through with like the vengeance thriller. If I'm looking for it to fit into that mold, yeah. Um, it did, however, fulfill me and satisfy me in a lot of ways. Like some of the ways she pulled off vengeance and let's say teaching lessons, sure. that sort of thing. Um, it was pretty satisfying. It was, you know. It's some it, well, there was one in particular with uh, Allison Bree's character that oh. kind of felt icky. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I gotta make a note of that. We gotta talk about that too. Yeah, yeah. I love I love Allison Bree. Like I've loved her since Mad Men. So I was like super focused on on her character um, as well as Bo Burnham. I love Bo Burnham. Yep. But yeah, big big Allison Bree fan. Uh, so I was very much paying attention to that. And like I ugh, I loved that scene, but also like ooh. I, and it's it's this whole you know establishing a moral compass of like what retribution is mm-hmm. is deserved and what fits the the crime and obviously our main character Carrie Mulligan is making this her own so it's not a matter of is she right or is she wrong it's more of do you agree with the philosophical and ethical approach that she is taking totally. Um, and I thought it was interesting in that regard that it, it definitely put you outside of the realm of, you know, uh, black and white, good or bad. And it, there was a lot of gray and the justice yeah. she doled out uh, existed in a very gray and aggressively uh, devious area. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. when when you're talking about trying to get vengeance for something like that, short of like just murdering someone. And like, cause I mean, I was thinking about it too. Like most of what she did, didn't break the law. Ever. Yeah. I was so, just, just jumping on your point real quick. I think there's something that, again, we won't, we can't talk about now, but like, there's a key, um, bit of information that we, uh, find out where I, I think that you sort of, as an audience member, get pulled out of those morally dicey weeds with respect to the Alison Brie character that we learn later on. Yep. And that was like, yeah, I guess we'll save the rest, but I, I wanted to make sure you were on that same page before. Oh we yeah. Going. Okay. Yeah. We got, we got okay. to get into this though. We can't, we can't not spoil it. Anymore. Ah, yeah. You're right. Okay. So you're good. You're good. Moving into spoilers. Yeah. Did you want to rate it? And then, yes, spoil I do. It? I always forget. Okay. You first out of 10, my friend. Ooh, out of 10, this movie is an 8.3. Yeah. That's really high. Okay. For me, it's a nine. It's, it's a good week for me so far. Um, man, I loved it. Like, again, I think the Carrie Mulligan performance would have been enough to, to keep this at a high rating for me. And, um, the fact that we do get some other great performances and it's about something that, um, feels like addresses this terrible culture that's sort of come to the forefront of modern, um, awareness, like just, you know, it was 2020 sort of the year for me too, or was it 2019? I, I don't know. I think anymore. it was, it was, it was 19. Yeah. Well, it seems like it's just more and more like this thing. These things keep coming up. I also want to point out this movie was produced partially by Margot Robbie who had a mm. big hand in, um, um, bombshell, which is another film, which was not very good, but addressed sort of like the, the exploitation of typically women by men of power. It was all about sort of the Roger Ailes thing at Fox news and, and all that kind of stuff. So like, I think that was great. Like I love when, when movies tie into real life like that. And I think it was super well done. So yeah, for, for me, it's a strong nine out of 10. Excellent. Uh, okay. Then one final warning. If you have not yet seen Promising Young Woman, we are going to spoil it right after this very cool sound. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Okay. So then the point about it, spoilers, the point about Alison Brie is like, I, I had the same thing. Like she takes her to lunch, gets her super drunk, pays a dude basically to like go upstairs and, and we think rape her basically. 
Yeah. And, and I was just like cringing the whole time, like, like vigilante justice or not, like, you know, eye for an eye thing, the whole world blind. I believe that was Gandhi. And then we find out later that, okay, like she didn't actually do that. She had, a, she had, you made her feel like that the same way she made, um, the, um, you know, superintendent, what do you call it at a school? Administrator, president, Dean, Dean, um, feel like her daughter was about to be raped by a bunch of guys just to like put what that might feel like. But the moment and I was like, how, how satisfying was that scene with the Dean too? That's what I'm saying. Like it's, it, it's all really good. But my only, my only sort of moral qualm was like, well, you can't actually, like you, you're about to like have this other woman go through this experience that you're the reason it set you on your whole path in the first place. And then you're gonna have like a, a kid raped by a bunch of dudes. Like I can't really root for you anymore. So then when I found out like none of that happened, I was like, okay, yeah, she's, she's super right. Like she's, yeah. I'm rooting for her hundred percent. Right. She was just trying to open people's eyes to like the, just the, bl- the cold shoulder that they're like ignorance that they have. You totally. Know? Like when she's talking to the Dean and, and then she's like, yeah, your daughter's in danger. And then all of a sudden the Dean cares. And, and, um, uh, Cassie's like, I guess it's different when it's somebody you love. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like every, nobody, nobody gives a shit until it's like they're, it's on their front door, you know? Yeah, oh, and I wild. love when when she turned the dean's own vernacular around on her. I, I like, know. Now, I know. We have to give those boys the benefit of it's the doubt. So that good. was so satisfying. That yeah. was just delicious. So I don't I don't know if those necessarily qualify as twists, but the fir- if if they don't, the first big though for me kind of slightly predictable twist is when we find out that Bo Burnham's character was at the very least like an active bystander in the rape of Cassie's mm-hmm. friend Nina. And as I watched it, I wondered if there's a discussion to be had about varying levels of incrimination or like uh, culpability. They're like, these men should be measured by. And like my first instinct was like, no, they're responsible, whatever. Like witnessing something terrible and doing nothing is in my book just as bad as doing the thing. But I did wonder how my feelings towards Burnham's character might have been different had his response been similar to the lawyer's apology that we got earlier in the movie. I don't, I don't know. What do you think? Is there any me- measure of redemption achievable for the Burnham character after we find out what he did? I would say probably not since it was brought up and like he pointedly asked about Nina, like one of the first times that they hung out, like Mm. gauging her as to like what she remembered or whatever. So like, Oh, you think he was like like, testing the waters? Like I feel like he was testing the waters immediately. Like looking back, like once you find out he was there, I'm like, Oh, he brought up Nina like quick. (sighs) That's trippy, man. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, oof. I, I I would say no because I feel like he remembered, Ugh. and if he didn't, you know what I mean. Yeah. I feel like he remembered because they were so all so quick to be like, oh, I was drunk. Yeah. Did totally. we clarify? Like, yeah, because the videotape that surfaced of it, like, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Maybe this speaks to my gullibility, but like, and I also just rewatched Training Day, by the way, like last night or the night before. Yeah. <laughs> for the second time ever in my life. And I've watched it twice in like a week. Cause it's that good. But I'm also the idiot that when Ethan Hawks spoilers, Ethan Hawks character comes in and sees Denzel after Denzel hires those dudes to murder him. And Denzel's like, you passed the test in my stupid brain. I'm like, Oh, I did. Thanks Denzel. I'm glad I got your approval. And it's the same part of my brain. That's like, maybe Bo Burnham didn't know. And like, maybe all these guys are really just forgotten. It was a mistake. And I have to be like, that's insane. Like, don't fall for this shit that everyone said for forever, you're clearly being played. Yeah. Big time. But it's, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So that's fair. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to go for spoilers? I know I want to talk about the ending, but we can get there when we get there. Yeah, man, there were, there were just so many good scenes. I feel like in a lot of ways, this movie was kind of like jumping from boss fight to boss fight against just piece of shit to yeah. piece of shit, dude. Wait, should um, we talk, should we talk cameos in the beginning? 
Oh yeah. There was some good ones. <laughs> like we should probably start with Adam Brody. He's the first guy we see. What's Adam yeah. Brody, if you had to say most famous for? The OC. Yeah, the OC. And he's like, he's like a nice guy, right? And which is the whole point of casting him. Same with um, Christopher Mintz-Plas, who played uh, McLovin. Like they're these quote unquote, harmless, likable guys who you'd see and you can trust to tell you, you know, tell them where your address is and to take you home safe. And I thought that casting those two guys in particular was just brilliant because they're so disarming, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, and, nope, they're and, just yeah. rapey. We're all, yep. They're all just rapey. Exactly. Because even even Adam Brody's character to like to his friends when he oh, was like, isn't that gross? Yeah. Yeah. When he was like, guys, guys, I'm just going to go see if she needs help. You guys are <sighs> gross. Like, don't stop. Dude, and then he yeah, try yep. And he's the most rapey. If it all. weren't for the trailer, I would have bought it too. I'd be like, oh, yeah, he's clearly the nice one here. Like his guys are yeah. like locker room talk, which gross. I've never been in that locker room, but I would leave that locker room. I want to throw that yeah. out. But that's yeah. also me just being like, I'm a nice guy, which comes up from every guy in this movie. So mm-hmm. I get it. It's rough, man. Yeah, man, it is. It's it's rough. It's because it's like, you know, there are so many shady people out there. And it's like this movie just highlights that. But man, because like I've been in that situation and I've like picked up. A, a female that I knew and like called a cab that I knew personally sure, and like put her in it and gave him an extra 20 bucks and said like, make sure she just gets inside at home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, man, it just, the, the, the vulnerability and the victim blaming, like the, from the Dean, that was one of the man. most like ir- yeah. irksome and troublesome scenes about, you know, cause it was coming from a female. Dude, that was right? what was oh. really fucked up. That was Dude. just like, oh, that's oh, so God. icky. I had a friend um, who uh, was was assaulted by somebody. She, uh, she brought him home and he took advantage of her upstairs. And then she went to file a police report, like covered in bruises, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And and one of the questions, or I think two of them, she has one that the dean was like, well, how much had you been drinking? And I swear to God, she said, like, what were you wearing? And it's like, come on, man. Like, are we not past this? Like honestly, as, from the police or or an administrator, like at a school, like surely you have the experience and training to know that's a, a stupid ass question has nothing to do with justifying something like that. And, and, and two, even if it somehow did, like if you're trying to help this person, maybe don't, maybe don't fucking say that, you know? Yeah. Wild. Yeah. And the way the Dean phrased it is like, well, it's unfortunate that she made this mistake. I know. Like, we wow, all make what, mistakes. The, mista- the mistake of being born a woman and happening to get too drunk yeah, at a party. Dude, it's wild. I don't know. That's that's so Ooh. fucked to me. Yeah. To everybody. Yeah. Most everybody. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about some of the scenes that didn't work for me. Oh, yeah. Um, there, there was a few things that didn't really jive for me that fell out of place. Mm-hmm. The whole love story I did just I couldn't get behind. Okay. When did you just start because- not liking it? Uh, like the moment that they just got all lovey dovey and it turned like the into and turned into a montage. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is revolting because there was no, uh, like sovereignty of her own happiness before a man was injected. Yep. Like it felt so antithetical to the point of this movie. Like mm-hmm. the only time she was ever actually truly happy was because she had a man. And I'm like, Fuck that. That's not like yeah. that bums me out. Like that really it, that movie would have been rated way higher for me if that wouldn't have been in there. Cause like, dude, the whole point of this movie is like you are strong. Like you don't need that. Like and her parents are pushing her to that. Like, you should get a boyfriend. You should, you know, all this stuff. Like, you know, and that just felt so disingenuous that like disingenuous that that Cassandra's character 
flourished immediately. She was like a different person. Yeah, but I think it has to be in there. Like, because I, I might push back a little bit. Like the movie's about her sort of intrinsic distrust of all men. And, and to this to this point in her life, like it's proven true. Like every guy that's basically ever tried to make a move has turned out to be a piece of shit. So I think we have to have that counterpoint of a, a guy that both she as a, as a woman and somebody dating and us as the audience believes is actually a good guy. And like, if it takes a 30 second montage of cheesy romance to make me believe that I'll do it. Like that's a movie making trope that I don't love from a cinematic perspective, but from a truncated storytelling out of necessity point of view, like I was, I was fine with that, but I get where you're coming from. I feel like if they're going to do that and, and kind of can, they could have done that in a more believable way. I felt like that the montage was a big cop out. Like I would have liked to have seen a bit more narration of the relationship or, you know, a bit of the progression, but it felt reductive to just condense it into like a 30 second montage and like, Oh, she's the happiest she's ever been now. I mean, okay. Yeah, yeah, I get that too. But like they did, they did do some of the groundwork with like, like they had some fights and like, I, I for, again, this is going to probably come down to personal differences here, but like, I think they did, they did the foundational stuff that made me buy in, or at least, yeah, partially buy into like, all right, like, let's give this a go. Even though again, like I thought that the twist where he was like part of the initial piece of shit guys, that was, I saw that coming. Yeah. I mean, we all, I think I kind of saw that coming too, but I think what really bothered me was just like the, the light switch of just, she was just yeah. completely different. Yeah. And like, it just, I don't know it. Uh, I mean, it, it, I didn't buy it. It honestly, it just was. It was a bit eye rolly for me. Right. But that's just me. Yeah, totally. I, it didn't do it, do it for me. Also, I what? Oh, you don't even have her listed in the cameos. Who? Molly, Molly, Molly Shannon. Who's Molly uh, Shannon? Who was she Nina's, in this movie? Nina's mom. Oh, sure. Yeah. Why are you bring her up? Uh, I did not like their interaction at all. <laughs> it, was, it felt yeah, really <laughs> shitty. Uh, I was yeah, like, wow, right. she's like not very nice. Set up, I don't set know up. how many times Cassandra's character had been there before. Right, right. But when we see Cassandra's character going to this house and just sitting outside in her car, like uh, it turns out being Nina's mom's house. She did definitely did not get like the emotional support that she was expecting from Nina's mom. Right. Also, like, this is yeah oof. the type of setup that we would require for people that haven't seen it. Nina, by the way, again, if you don't remember, was the woman, the girl, her friend that was raped. Nina has since killed herself, so she shows up. Wait, to that Nina's was never house. made. That was never made explicitly clear. Uh, yes, it was at the end. Was it? Yeah. Uh, when he's like, uh, how, or the 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 somebody's like, how's you know, are you Nina or whatever? Oh, he's like, you can't be Nina Fisher because she's dead. Yeah, it's made clear that she's dead. It it oh. was never made clear that she um, killed herself. I mean, she definitely killed herself. Well, I mean, that's that. It was never explicitly said. So, I mean, that's left. That's to be true. Preserved. It wasn't in dialogue, but yeah, I th- I think you could pretty safely. Assume it's that. it's Im- it's it's implied. I think we both kind of thought yeah. that, but yeah. it's 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 interesting to note that they left that specific detail out. Well, yeah, but if they had put it in there, I would have complained about them being too expositional, like spoon feeding me an obvious thing. So I, I think it was a strength that they didn't be like, by the way, looking at the camera, yeah. she killed herself because of this. Like, you know, shit. Well, like, yeah, I mean, you, you wouldn't have to be blatant about it, but yeah. I mean, it could have been worked into dialogue so many ways, you know, I guess yeah, I there's thought there so was many enough- stupid questions about <laughs> college and whatever. And like, uh, yeah, you were friends with that girl that killed herself, right? There, there was Would've enough, been... there was enough talk about like Nina not becoming herself towards the end, like just being like shriveled into a, a shadow of, or a shell of the person she used to be. I don't know. Again, we're squabbling over probably not too much, but yeah. I take, take your point about her mom. Like, yeah, what the fuck, man? Like she's clearly, yeah. uh, Cassie is not doing so well. And you're going to be like, 
Cassie, move on. My daughter's dead. I moved on. Yeah, it's, like, it's not good dude. for anybody. And then when he, I thought she was going to lean in for a hug, and oh, she just walks I inside. I know. It was She's wild. Just, I'm out. I was very surprised by that. Yeah. Um, those were those were two of the main things that really didn't work for me. Everything else I felt pretty good about. Okay. Can we talk ending? Uh, one more thing. Sure. I love Laverne Cox. She's amazing. She killed it in this. Yeah. She when Gianna saw her it. name, we watched it together. When Gianna saw her name on the uh, the uh, intro credits, she was like, oh, I love Laverne Cox. And then I didn't remember right. who Laverne Cox was. And then I remembered I watched Disclosure last year. And I was like, that's how I know Laverne Cox. Yeah. She's amazing. So. Yeah. Um, okay, so briefly, again, to bring anyone who hasn't seen this up to speed, um, Cassie at this point has threatened Bo Burnham's character with releasing the video that he was involved in if he doesn't reveal the location of Al Monroe's bachelor party, who is the dude that raped Nina, or maybe multiple. Um, he shows her. She shows up to the party dressed as a stripper, drugs all the other guys to sleep, or you know, puts something in their drink, then tricks Al Monroe into getting handcuffed to the bed upstairs. Also, she can take a scalpel and uh, carve Nina's name into him. It's worth noting, and we can talk about this, that this is the first time that she actually tries to be violent with somebody, a man. Yes. Um, he ends up breaking free, perhaps predictably, and he, he then smothers her with a pillow until she is dead. Now, I think a darker movie might have ended this here, but we do learn that Cassie had a contingency. The police are called, arrests are made, uh, frat boys cry. You get the idea. Um, Johnny, you said in a text to me before I watched it that you, quote, Felt like you needed a shower and a cry. So I have to ask, do you like the way that it ended? Then it was just made you sad or, or do you not like the ending? And that's why you had to cry. Well, you know, I like the ending because I feel like it displays the desperation of womankind as a whole mm. to the extent of what they would maybe have to do. And the fact right. that she knew she might not come back from that. Mm -hmm. um, and she still did it anyway. I think it spoke to the desperation of needing to be heard and acknowledged and having your pain and your trauma acknowledged. And I think it was a, an amazing metaphor for, for the female perspective. Um, you know, did I like the ending? I mean, like is a very <laughs> subjective word in this case. Yeah. Um, I, I liked the way it ended and I liked it that they didn't end it with her just being suffocated God. with a pillow and I, left to die. Did you and, think it was know, gonna for a second? I was concerned. Like I put I, it that yeah, way. Yeah. Cause I got, I read um, that text from you and I was like, fuck, this is how this is going to be. This is, you know, it's going to have like a quick montage of that dude getting married and then we're going to be over. Yeah. Luckily it didn't. There was a pretty, I liked the, the, the brief postmortem redemption arc. Mm -hmm. Um, I really liked the, the, her sending the phone with the video to the therapist guy. Classic. Yeah. Um, classic. Classic like, like you know, spy move. Like, you know, if I disappear, yeah. here's this manila folder. Take it to totally. the CIA. Exactly. Yeah. So I did like that. Um, obviously I was really sad that she died, but um, I thought it was a very interesting portrayal of the the strength of character that it would take to literally walk into the fire knowing that you might yeah. not come back out, but it would get your friend justice. Yeah, totally. Um, so I mean, it's a it's a it's a double edged sword of like I loved it, but I hated it because it's so fucking true. Um, so I think when faced with such harsh truth, you can't help but in, like appreciate it. Uh, it's hard to enjoy because you are being faced with one of the most dark truths of the world we live in. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like this film captured it in a really beautiful way. And the, the poetic metaphor of her doing that at the end and the way she died and, and the way it was all brought to justice, I think it really it pushed the, the whole message of this movie right to the forefront of your mind. 
uh, as it ended. So I, I am satisfied with the ending. I mean, I wanted the Hollywood ending of her, you know, carving that guy. <laughs> you know, the classic and, Hollywood you know, ending where the woman carves up another woman's name into a man's chest and then walks yeah. away with an explosion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. it absolutely you know, reeked of girl with the dragon tattoo. And like, oh, I kind of sure. wanted that. I kind of yeah. wanted yeah. that because yeah. Lisbeth Salander is Salander. Salander. Yeah. It goes Salander. Is like one of the most badass female characters and just, Oh, that yeah. was so satisfying when that happened. You're like, to that rapist conditioned, you're conditioned. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. When you're just, con- you're conditioned to anticipate that kind of payoff. Yes. And when it doesn't come and it ends sad, it's like, that's statistically speaking, that's that's really more accurate, and that's a huge bummer. But that's the whole point, right? I think that's the point totally. of this movie yeah. is that is that. So, yeah. What did you, what did you think? Did you come away with good things, bad things? How no. how did you feel after you watched this? Yeah, I think everything you said kind of nails it. Like it's not an enjoyable ending. Like the um, again, um, we really and this harkens to the cinematography. Like you watch her die. Like it's a long shot. It's like this slow sort of pan in. It's got to be like a minute and a half or two minutes where where we're watching him smother her with his knee and a pillow, and then and at some point it kind of just focuses in on him. But it's a long time to watch this girl suffocate to death, and like again, like just so not enjoyable. But but the way it does play out in the very end is like it's it's vindicating in a way, but just tough, you know. I also want to yeah. give like a deduct like a, a small bullshit point. Like, I don't know what happened. He was struggling with all his might for a good few minutes. And like, you tell me the moment she gets on him, like the handcuff gives, I think that's, I don't know. That kind of made me mad, but whatever. I get it. It's a point. You got to get to the, get to the point you're trying to make. So sure. I guess that could happen, but you know, he was really pulling against us for a while. So that bothered me a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think that's about all I have on promising a woman. Do you have anything else? No, I think I've I've spilt my cup and it is thus empty. Okay, uh, it is available for rental on video on demand. We got it on Vudu. You can rent it other places. If you do get a chance to watch it, let us know what you think. It's clearly a very um, opinion-forming movie. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can, again, email us at fhccast at gmail.com. In the meantime, we're going to take a break and we'll come back and talk about our second beer of the day, so don't go anywhere. tell you what, young Maxwell, I've really been enjoying this hen house beer out of Petaluma that we have been reviewing, imbibing in for the show today. And I was wondering if you know of any place that you might go to enjoy a nice craft beer, maybe that has hen house on tap. My friend, you are in luck. You already know it. The handlebar right here in Chico. They have dozens of delicious craft beers on tap and they have a happy hour seven days a week from two to 6 p.m. every single day. You get a dollar off all of those amazing crafty drafty beers. And uh, they're always good. They're always fresh. There's a good chance there's a hen house there right now. You can find their list on Untapped if you want to, or you can just go down to the handlebar at 2070 East 20th Street. Try all the beers yourself. Don't drive after more than one or two. Use your best judgment. It's Handlebar Chico. They're an amazing restaurant. Go check them out.
Back to conspiracy theories. This is our second beer from Henhouse called The Dark Side of the Rainbow. That's combining two things, which I will tell you about now. Bob from Henhouse says this. We're sticking with the music conspiracies with this follow-up to our The Walrus's Paul IPA. The Dark Side of the Rainbow, aka Dark Side of Oz or The Wizard of Floyd, is the name given to the combined experience of watching the film The Wizard of Oz from 1939 while listening to The Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd, uh, 1973. These two works were created independently, allegedly, Decades and continents apart, yet remarkable synchronicities appear when the album is played as the soundtrack to the film. This bizarre circumstance was first reported in the mid-90s. Some members of the band have jokingly said that Dark Side of the Moon was actually supposed to be based around the film The Sound of Music. The truth is somewhere in between. Johnny Summers, we can talk about in a moment whether or not uh, either of us have maybe Googled uh, a version of The Wizard of Oz with the uh, Dark Side of the Moon as the soundtrack. But I think before we discuss that, we should actually drink this beer and maybe talk about it. What does it say on the can? On the can it reads... Dark Side of the Rainbow is the bigger, bolder version of our classic, The Walrus is Paul IPA. We believe that all beer should be enjoyed in the brewery fresh condition, and we insist on constant cold storage. This is not beer information. Where am I? I'm, that's it? Okay, that's it. That's all we got. <clears throat> it basically just says how beer should be stored and drank within 28 days. It's true. I mean, that's good information, which is, I think, a good enough transition as any to say this was canned on uh, January 27th. Again, just about... A little over two weeks for us, and it's very, very fresh. It's also 9.2%, so a proper double IPA. Um, it looks quite a bit hazier than the one before. I'm guessing it's still using the same hops, those Centennial and uh, Jade. What is it called? Sorry, something Jade? Pacific Jade. Pacific Jade, thank you. Um, I haven't had a chance to try mine yet, but I've poured it. It looks great. I'm excited to try it. We can also talk about the label in a minute here, but have you tried yours yet? Oh, oh he likes shit, it. That's good. He likes it. Oh, Johnny looky, Johnny likey. <laughs> okay, so it's it pours super hazy looking. Trust, friends, trust. It does not taste like that. Okay. Thank my lucky beer stars. Uh no, you're get, I got a huge melon smell on this. It's like like a tangerine had sex with a honeydew and they they produced an amazing fruit cup that is this beer. My goodness, it has a big nose on it. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just bigger, badder, a little bit juicier, definitely bitter, um, just all around bigger. I'm really digging the mouthfeel on this. It's it's much heavier of a beer than the first one. This is this feels like a like a West Coast unfiltered, just hot bomb of a double IPA. I think that this is very much more like a New England IPA to me. It's it's definitely hitting those notes more than the first one, for sure. Yeah. Um, I want to mention what I said earlier. I did try that, or the double New England IPA from Fieldwork. Um, if I'm smart, I'll think of the name of it. But it had a similar thing going on that the the double IPA from Monkish that we did a couple months ago had, where it was like super, super bitey and acidic and like almost like the hot profile was trying to balance out against the sweetness. Um, and they mm-hmm. just like ramped up the bitterness and it made this really weird, like almost, um, almost spicy kind of sharpness. And I hated that about that beer and I hated it about the, uh, fieldwork one. And this has a similar mouthfeel, way better flavors and none of that sort of sharpness. This Agreed. is, this is lovely so far. This is really nice. And I'm so not a fan of that style right now. Totally. So, you know, this has some hot presence. Like if you were wondering if this was hoppy, just ask me if I liked it. Yeah, right. It's, I'm the litmus hop test. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, really quickly, can art, also great, maybe unsurprisingly. There is a hen dressed up in Dorothy's dress from Wizard of Oz, and in her little hand basket instead of Toto is um, it's a little can. They call him a the, the cannibal, you know, fun pun. Um, it's a can with his tongue out like he's about to taste something delicious. And then in the background is the Emerald City from the Wizard of Oz uh, with a triangle behind it, a prism, if you will, shining a Pink Floyd-ish rainbow through it. This is a great can. This is a lovely, lovely, creatively designed label. Big shout out there. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Have you ever seen the Wizard of Oz? Have it? Yeah, I've seen the Wizard of Oz. Have you? you seen, have you not seen Pink the Floyd? Wizard of Oz? I've actually. Wait, have you seen the Wizard of Oz? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. I. You know. No. I mean, not properly. Like, it's one of those. Dark Side of the Moon is one of those albums that people are just like, look, you got to put it on start to finish. Get in a good room with good speakers and just sit down and listen. And I've never done that. And get super altered. Right now, have you ever listened to that album and watched the movie together? I have never. I have <laughs> definitely watched the laser light show on DVD with surround sound in the dark, not in my original mental state. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, well, so I Googled to see if there was this version of this movie out there. And, and somebody made one. And I kind of like I maybe spent five or ten minutes scrubbing through because because people are like, oh, it's the wildest thing. Like If you put it on at the right time when the movie starts, like it, there's all these crazy parallels that happen. And the only ones that I discovered and they weren't groundbreaking or anything, but there is like a, a musical drop that happens the moment that Dorothy opens her her house door from the tornado and then everything's in Technicolor. There's a moment there. It's like, oh, that that seems intentional. And then I got to the point where um, the Wicked Witch of the West shows up and the, basically the moment she comes on screen, there's a lyric that says like, which witch? Or something like, which is which? I was like, that's mm-hmm. funny. And I bet there's more of those. But um, I, I think there's less um, research and less of a fan base for this conspiracy than there is uh, the Walrus's Paul Beatles conspiracy. But still, an interesting thing. I really love the consistency of of sticking with conspiracy theories as like a, as like a beer branding tactic. I think it's fun. Yeah. There's uh, a couple more. They have uh, – Hen House has a Chemtrails IPA. And sure. they have a reptilian – like I think it's called underground reptilian government or something like that. Okay. Like they kind of went all in on the conspiracy theme and I got to say it's pretty cool. Plus it makes for some cool art. The the underground lizard reptile government one right. whatever the hell it's called it has like a an iguana in like a three-piece suit on the front. It's yep. pretty pretty dope like yeah, it kind of makes me want to get the rest of these beers and try them. One, because the two we've had are bomb, mm. and two, because the cans are cool. Right, again, like marketing genius. Like, oh, i got to try all of them. Um, the, the Walrus idea came from from Christy, who over at Hen House, who handles all their off-premise sales. Um, and I get Bob was telling me they did a few um, some years back that were fun during the design. This is a quote, but turned out to be a little too dark. And I, I put too dark <laughs> in quotes, which I assume then is not a reference to the beer and more to the conspiracies. And he said, we wanted to find some stores, stories that were on the lighter side. Uh, and Christy suggests the Beatles story and they ran with it. And then they were going to try to make this double IPA version uh, of, of that one, something similar, but all they could come up with, like, I am the Eggman, And like, nobody wants that. Cause it sounds like an egg IPA, which is true. Yeah. Um, so Bob had a good point. So they went, yeah, they went this direction, which is just another sort of British inspired conspiracy theory. That's fair, man. That's fair. And this one is like less conspiracy, more of like coincidence. I feel like. Um, yeah, I mean, like as far as conspiracies go, there's not much uh, ill will happening in any of these. Like, even if that's what Pink Floyd intended, it'd be more like it's kind of cute. Oh, I don't than think anything. Cons- conspiracy theories don't have to be malintended. I don't think. Yeah, no, not at all. Okay. But by and large, that's what we know them as. You know, like JFK assassination, well, sure, like UFOs, Cuban well, Missile Crisis, UFOs, actually. 
Wait, what's the conspiracy you know? with the with the Cuban Missile Crisis? Uh, the Bay of Pigs and all that, like how, it was like, staged the, or something. Well, no, I mean it's a proven conspiracy theory that like the I think it's the CIA like armed the Cubans to stage the the thing that we were in it's a whole thing it's one of the only conspiracy theories that's been proven true well so at that point it's no longer a conspiracy theory it's just like this yeah. conspiracy that that happened. but like it's but it started out as one but yeah it was it's an actually government hatched conspiracy i hope we get some emails like you thought that conspiracy theory was crazy here's one that me and my seven cousins and my, and my wife and their family and we're all related we came up with this one I'm going to read the shit out of that email if we get it. I don't think anyone emailing <laughs> in is inbred. God damn. Well, I'm hoping those people come out of the hills. Have eyes. Uh, to tell <laughs> us about it. Hey, well, That'd be awesome. Back to this beer? Yeah, man. I like it a lot, dude. Me I like too. I like this one more than the first one. Me too. That surprises me. Okay. Um. Well, that's going to be tough then because... Um, I don't have much room to go up in my ratings and, I, and I've only had like one or two drinks, but I'm going to go back again to look for, you know, things that stick out badly. Anything you're not liking about this. Hmm. Um, I think just because the sweetness is ramped up a bit, it gets muddied with the hoppiness. Yep. I feel like there's you know, some mid palate confusion as to like what is going to dominate there's definitely a, a struggle for control in my mouth right now, and I don't know who's winning. That's probably fair. I, I get that, too. Uh, it doesn't bother me quite as much, but for sure there is a bit of a traffic jam as I get to the back of my palate. It's like, well, are we hoppy? Are we sweet? Are we both? Who knows? It's a little bit hard to tell. I'll give you that. Yeah. I like. I think I liked the, the, the flavor of the bitterness in the first beer more. Sure. This one gets to be, because it, it has that sweetness thrown in, where it, it tastes like bitter old fruit almost. Yeah. Yeah. And that that if you really focus on that and you think about like old gross fruit when you're drinking this, like it would be off putting. Mm. Um I can I can differentiate that. I like the flavor of this beer, but just as a consumer comparing one to the other, the bitterness on the first one much more enjoyable. Yeah, I think that that sort of overripeness you're describing is probably problematic if you go for like a month old or if if this gets any older than like six weeks, I think that'll be really, really troublesome. Um, mm -hmm. but, but it doesn't bother me. Um, for me, it translates more as like a mango or papaya, almost like tropical sort of like real, real musty type fruits. Um, and I, I like it in this. I think it's really good. I do too. I think for the style that it is, I mean, looking at a double IPA versus a single IPA, I think this double IPA as ranked with other double IPAs is very good. Mm -hmm. uh, I would lean towards this ratio of bitterness to sweetness over a lot of, of other double IPAs that fall into the kind of hazy look yeah. Uh, yeah. impossible category. They're not really specific. They don't claim this as a new England or an East coast or anything. Mm -hmm. They don't claim hazy here. Yeah. So um, I'm judging it just as a double IPA. And I think it's, it's interestingly sweet. Uh, I think I could do without the sweetness. I think I'm just a bitter, bitter person. Bitter old curmudgeon. And that's, and that's really just translating into my taste for beer. Sure. But, I mean, overall, it's it's really solid. And it's it's one of the better craft double IPAs that I've had in a while. So, yeah, I'm pr pretty stoked on this beer. Well, I suppose on, on that note, the most interesting conspiracy theory I've heard all day is that there's basically a West Coast IPA masquerading, or switch those around, what could be translated as a New England IPA masquerading as a West Coast IPA. And not only that, but you really like it. I think that's as good a point as any to give it a rating out of 10. What do you think? Dark Side of the Rainbow out of 10? Yeah, definitely. Out of 10, 
It feels like a seven seven. Seven point seven, slightly lower. Nine. That's fair. I'm gonna go. Yeah. I'm gonna go nine point five, slightly higher than nine. Very God very damn, good. Damn, up son. there, man. Yeah, I like it more than the first. Um, I know I cut you off with your sort of ending thoughts, so I'll throw it back to you in a second. But I just think. Like bang for buck, granted, I didn't even ask you how much these cost, but I, I meant more in, in terms of alcohol at 9.2%. It's wildly drinkable. Um, if you like some of those mustier flavors that come with sort of like the tropical fruit notes, I think it's right up Bro. your alley. Um, I'm about it, man. Yeah, 9.5 for me. It's very solid. Uh, final thoughts on Dark Side of the Rainbow for you? Uh, I just realized that this is 9.2%. That's what I'm that saying. Is, <laughs> like- um, that that that's a bit of a head scratching revelation. Like, what? Uh, what? Yeah, if you had to guess, what would you have said? Uh, 7.7 yeah it was like 7.5 yeah ish it's 9.2 percent that's that's bewildering holy guacamole that's crazy that change your rating at all no okay good i don't think it should nope i'm a man of principle deal um okay so johnny overall thoughts yeah wait overall thoughts on hen house oh I think. Let's I mean, talk about the brewery for a second. Are you stoked on them? Have you ever been there? Oh, you get bonus points gonna... for saying stoked because that's another yes. series of beer they do. Yeah, nope. no, I think I established my my thoughts in the beginning. I'm, I'm going to stick with them. Like I, at this point, especially after the second beer, like I, I feel really, really confident that if I grab something fresh off of any given shelf that's been properly refrigerated and made it from the brewery to that place, I'm I'm very likely to enjoy that beer. So um, I've, I've never been down to the brewery. That could be a really fun uh, maybe day trip when COVID's not a thing. Um, I know yeah. you and I are sort of talking about who was I just talking to? Uh, another brewery about doing like a little. Oh, actually, I was talking to a, to our, our patron, um, Austin, Scott, Neiman, Big mm. Bone. Okay, um, yep. about like going to because he lives down in Southern California and doing like a little mobile recording unit in the van and like maybe you and I take this on the road and, and stop at like seven breweries over the course of a week and like record yes. in the van and like just do all the editing on the fly and just go for that. We're going on tour. All that to say, like, I'd love to throw Hen House on that tour if we could. Hell yeah. What about you? Uh, I've never been there. I, I haven't been to Petaluma as frequently since I stopped working for a company that sold Lagunitas. Yeah. Uh, I do have great fondness for Petaluma. I love their downtown. I have a favorite bar there. Um, Taps, if you're curious. Shout out. Great fucking bar. Love Taps. It. What's up? Uh, I love Taps. There's a great pool hall there. Uh, I'm looking for... There's actually a great music venue there that a lot of bands I like play. So I will be definitely spending more time down there once the world opens back up yeah. again. It'd be great to go spend like a weekend down there with you and hit Hen House. And hit, there's a few other breweries. There's some really great um, bottle shops around yeah. that we could hit. So I am, I'm definitely high on this brewery. And I would easily say that if... A style of theirs I see on a shelf, and like you said, it is fresh. Uh, I will be grabbing it and buying it for just around the house drinking. We are very lucky and spoiled to have this brewery readily available and accessible for an affordable price for super fresh beer. So two thumbs way up for Hen House for me. Yeah, Hen House is available pretty widely. And Chico, you said that you got these at Spikes. How much did I? Oh, well, I think they're probably about the same price. But what did these cost? I don't remember, and I think it's because we're rich. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, all right. Well, money's like not an option because our patrons are so good to they're us. So great. I don't have to check the bank account. I got commas. Like I just, I don't care. Well, I don't care. So I'm going to make a, a production decision on the fly if you're okay with it. Um, that since this is available, I think this would be a really good. And this is also just a shameless Patreon plug. Um, we should take one of these beers and we can Rochambeau because they're both so good. And we will deliver this to the doorstep of our uh, five dollar and up patrons this month. Ooh, I think this is a re- this fun. would be a great beer to get. I think the weather's warming up a little bit. It'd be a lovely 
uh, lovely beer to have. Either one of them would be great. So uh, if you're cool with that, sir, um, we will let our patrons know, obviously. But if, if you are somebody that's like, I want to I want a beer delivered to my doorstep and I want to have bonus content and I want to be part of this family, just join us again on Patreon. It's it's super easy to sign up and you can do it for four bucks a month if you want uh, and be part of our little group. It's a lot of fun. People are great uh, and you can support us. So lots of wins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, so moving on from beer, do you want to talk Hot and Bothered? I do, man. Okay, so I went to Ikea for the first time in my life this week, <laughs> this past week. Yeah. <laughs> and and we're up in Chico, so the, the closest Ikea is Sacramento. Um, so I don't have a lot of space for things in my home at this point. We're renting, and in that in that respect, um, the top floor of Ikea, which is all like, uh, you know, like home furnishings and sort of kitchen setups and whatever, like it was cool. It was nice. Like, I felt like it was, I was in people's living rooms at point. Cause like I'd walk into a display room and like, there's like another family with children and I'm like, Oh, so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bother you. Um, Isn't that fun though? How they so have all the weird. rooms yeah, set yeah. up. Um, so I was like getting some fun ideas, but then the bottom floor is when I really shown like there's glassware and like plates and I got a new knife and like all in all, Ikea, very strange store. Um, <laughs> always, I have a question. Go ahead. Uh, was the cafeteria open? Nope. Oh, uh, oh, the cafeteria cafeteria was not, but the cafe downstairs was. Okay. And I can't compare them. I didn't eat food, obviously, from from the upstairs one or the downstairs one. So it looked fine. Um, but it sounds like that's sort of a thing at Ikea. Like you get food. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, they're they're known for their meatballs, man. Right. So I went with uh, friend my friend Jacob, um, and he was all like the way down. Like, oh, I hope the cafeteria is open. <laughs> and it was not. Because, like, yeah, people like the cafeteria. Um, it's good. Nevertheless, we are in a time of COVID. So we went, we purchased one thing, like a big wardrobe and, and we're waiting in line. Like that's what you do. You scan your receipt and you don't obviously carry furniture around. So at the, at the, if you've never been the very end, you sort of scan your, your item code and then they give you a number and then they bring it out to you from their warehouse. And some dude shows up like, you know, like mid forties, sort of stocky fella walks in without a mask, even though there's clearly whoa, signs whoa, everywhere. Whoa. Whoa. Why does it matter if he's stocky? You're not mid forties. I'm trying to describe him. <laughs> just, That's you know, me in 10 years, bro. You got 10 years. I'll change my language. Uh, a, a sexy, stocky man. Thank you. Um, he walks in, no mask, but he has it in his hand. He's also got like an earpiece in, like a Bluetooth thing, which I guess mm. is fine unless you start being a douchebag and it's like, this douchebag has an earpiece in. Um, yeah. And anyways, like one of the gals who's got the, uh, like taking people's numbers to get their furniture is like, excuse me, sir, do you have a mask? And motherfucker immediately is just like, these things don't work. It's like using it. He said, it's a, it's like, it's like using a chain link fence to stop a mosquito. And they go back and forth for a minute. And I'm like close enough where if I like, I am involved, I could be involved momentarily. So like I put kind of my hands by my side, like behind my back a little bit. And I kind of start edging closer. Cause like, you never know with people like this. And in that moment, I'm like all of my aggravation from anybody I've ever seen, not wearing a mask in public is like boiling. Mm -hmm. this. I'm like, I'm going to, I will snap on this guy. I'm at Ikea. I've been here for two and a half hours. The cafeteria is closed. So I'm hungry. Like, if you give this girl a hard time, my friend, we shall have words. And eventually she convinces him to put on his mask, and he's just just throwing a tantrum the whole time. Like, I'm never fucking shopping at Ikea again. Uh, whatever. Real, real shitty dude. Um, and then he finally leaves with, like, a tiny little thing that he carried in his hand. I don't know why he was at Ikea in the first place. It was like a like a plastic tub for storing, like, 
you know, boxes of food underneath your counter or something. Yeah, bro. Just order that online. What are you doing? Just a real, real douche. And it put me in a terrible mood. So on our way back from Ikea, we did stop at one of my favorite Sacramento breweries, Fieldwork. I've mentioned them uh, today on the show. They did give a beer that I didn't love. But um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be featuring Fieldwork on this year podcast. And we're drinking a beer that I know for sure, sir, that you like. And I tried. Um, it's called Morning Time. It's a coffee stout. Yes. And we are also doing an American Pilsner they make um, called, uh, you know, the name's escaping me, but it's something Visions. And I tried it at the brewery. It was so, so good. Um, and I think they're, since since COVID, um, they're cranking out way more beers on site. So if you happen to live in SAC or you're making a trip, pick up those beers um, and drink along yeah. with us in a couple of weeks. It'll be out, um, I guess I could check, but I'm not going to, in a few weeks, episode like 2.9 yeah. or 2.10. Um, There's one episode we're doing a, an episode with Slice Brewing right. between now and Correct. then. So, so it's, it's yeah. this episode, Slice, and then Fieldwork. Yeah, and it's I think it's gonna be a really good episode. Um, those beers are so darn good, and I got them so fresh, and it really sort of, um, if you will, cleansed my palate of that dude. Perfect. That's great. That's an excellent use of the medicinal. I thought so too. The medicinal elixir <laughs> that is beer. <laughs> what about you, man? What's um, uh, what's going on with you? I did want to comment real quick, and we'll, oh. we'll talk more about this during the actual episode, sure. but I love the beers that you picked out. Uh, usually, I'm the beer selector, yeah, but I have to say you absolutely killed it, and I will tell you why. Fieldwork is almost exclusively famous for their IPAs, I know. both hazy and hoppy, and the fact that we are doing a coffee stout and a pilsner um, is fantastic. And it's going to push this brewery to the next level, possibly, or possibly put them in a box, a very simple box of IPA, you know, one dimensionality. So I am really interested to see how their Crispy Boys and their Coffee Stouts hold up now that we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, we all know their IPAs are good. So, like, what else do they have to offer? Yeah, I mean, great you, choice. You bet your bottom dollar I picked them for you. Well, good work. Yeah, good, like, good like, work. Man, it was uh, yeah. We again, we'll we'll review these in a couple of weeks. But the coffee stout in particular was like just on the nose. Like, oh, that's that's coffee. That's just oh, co that's like, coffee in the best way. Yeah, I can't wait to review those beers, man. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Hell yeah, super stoked for that. So I have a lot of hots. Not too much bothered this week. Not too much at all. So all right. do you want? I've I've got a new record I've been listening to. I have uh, an uh, an event, a gift exchange happening in my life. Mm -hmm. And I've been watching a classic television show. Which would you like first? Yeah. What order should I present these to you? I like getting the bothered out of the way. So whatever that means in your list. I honestly don't really have anything okay. written down. Because <laughs> they all look good on the notes. So yeah, let's start. Yeah. Let's go in order, man. Uh, in order, uh, today, as we record this, it is the 17th of February. And I was just selected. Uh, well, someone pulled my yeah, name, yeah. shall we say, in the Reddit condiment exchange oh, where wow. you are paired with another human you can select if you want to be paired with someone in the united states or someone worldwide uh very uh fluctuating with shipping okay so yeah you have to weigh that option i i chose someone in the united states and i actually got i was paired i am gifting someone in North Carolina, and I have no idea who picked me. That's what's secret about yep, it. You only yep. know the person you're giving to, not who you're receiving. So it's essentially a secret Santa type gift exchange, but they Reddit does a bunch of them throughout the year. And I'm a huge condiment guy. I yeah. love like hot sauces. I love barbecue sauces. I love marinades. I love I love everything about condiments. Like 
one of my essential things that I could not live without in this world is La Victoria mild green sauce. Okay. Okay. Fight me. Like I travel with one of those bottles. Yeah, right. That is on I keep that thing on me, Max. <laughs> Good. So man. I'm super so I'm super stoked for that. Like if you're not if you're on Reddit, you should definitely get involved with the gift exchanges. They're always super fun. Uh, and they're always pretty surprising. I did Secret Santa and it was a blast. And uh, I've never done any of them outside Secret Santa. But since COVID, they've been doing like more of them. I think it's just a way to to connect people and, and do things that are inclusive. And we can all like have a sense of community without leaving the house. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So I am hot about my Reddit condiment exchange. And I cannot wait to go shopping. I'm going to pick up a few of my favorite hot sauces and maybe one of my favorite marinades that's only made here in California and send it to North Carolina. So I think that's neat, man. It's another great way to also support local business. Yeah. Uh, and and that segue is pretty cool into the record that I'm listening to this week. Uh, it's a record called The Lesser Key from a band called Mother Iron Horse. Okay. They're a touring doom, like stoner metal band. Shocking. I know, Wait, but I like now, this. Now, stuff. as you start going, do you want do you want some music underneath what you're saying or no music? Yeah, sure. Pick pick whatever song sounds cool off of the album The Lesser Key. Okay, I'll play the very first song on the album. Here it is. You, okay. You just, you just keep going. People can enjoy it while you speak. Yeah, man. So this is uh this is the song Gehenna. Uh, off of Mother Iron Horse's May 2019 album, The Lesser Key. I've discovered this band through uh, an Instagram I follow called Weedians. They share all kinds of different, like, doom, stoner, metal, rock, psychedelic rock, all kinds of stuff on their page. Uh, And this band released this record right before pandemic, so they were never able to tour for it. They were never able to sell their merch for it. It's a really shitty situation, and yeah. I had never heard of this band, but I immediately dug them, and I was like, I gotta look into this. Like, they're really cool. Like, I want to support these guys because I, as you may know, I have a soft spot for for artists that are out of work right now. Hell, yeah. <laughs> so it's good to support, man. If you find a band that you like, or if you know of a band that you like, or if you just like Max, you should give him some money. (laughs) Um, but man, like just finding a band that you really like. And you know, if this whole shitty world hadn't fallen apart, they might've toured and come through here and I could have hung out with them. Yeah. You know, you just never know. But as it is like you of all people, Max know how much effort it takes to, to produce merch and like, you know, organize tours and like all this shit. So, it was really cool. They actually had a, a sale like right after I found them, and I was able to get some vinyl from them. And uh, they're really cool, super interactive. I've actually bantered back and forth with them on Instagram a little bit. Like they're they just remembered that I ordered a vinyl, and they're oh, like, "Hey man, great. your vinyl's in this stack we're shipping out." I'm that's like, "That's awesome." Oh, I fucking love you guys now. Yeah. Obviously, so if you're in the mood for some new tunes and you like what you're hearing under what I'm saying, check out Mother Iron Horse. They've got Instagram, Bandcamp, all that fun stuff. So check them out, man. It's good stuff. Support nice, some local artists, some local businesses. I think that's my whole theme for this week is is buy some local stuff. People in your community need money. Yeah. The world sucks right now, so support them. Let's keep these doors open, baby. Sweet. You got one more thing. It's a footnote, but now's I have the, discovered time. This is we're at the foot. I we are at the foot, and here is my note. I have recently re-delved into a lifelong passion of mine, which is Star Trek. Right. 
Um, I don't know who's surprised, but nobody should be. I'm a little surprised. Like when you said that to me the other day that you were watching Star Trek Next Generation, I was like, I didn't know you were like, I know you're kind of into sci-fi, but I, I always peg you more as like a fantasy horror fella. Um, well, it's funny because my life has been an interesting journey of fiction. I've gone through many phases. Some have stuck, some haven't. Yeah. Um, but I started out, one of my earliest memories with my father is, is sitting on his lap, eating a bowl of chili, uh, eating saltine crackers with chili and yeah. watching the next generation. Yeah. Uh, I've been a, a fan of Star Trek for as long as I can remember consuming entertainment through a television. Um, I love all the Star Treks like Babylon 5, Deep Space Nine. They're all really good, and I'm going to probably get to them eventually. Uh, but the next generation is the sweet spot for me. It is nostalgia, but also it is so much more than a science fiction series. All of the writing is very poetic and that there's always these super high stakes and there's always this like moral or philosophical dilemma in these episodes that has to be handled by the crew and it's so much more than a cheesy science fiction show like almost every episode that me and Shalina have watched we're 23 episodes into season one by the way yeah okay um every single episode we've watched has sparked some form of interesting conversation about the circumstances held within and i feel like that is invaluable if you're just going to put on some science fiction to zone out and like have fun watching but then it just sparks these interesting conversations about philosophy and 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 morals and it's just fascinating to go back and see how complex that was that i was watching when i was a kid like right looking at it now i'm like wow this is actually really deep and like the writing yeah. is like they're dealing with big issues about, you know, free will and morals and all this stuff. So uh, all that to say, I've been absorbing so much new content. It's so great and comforting to go back and and nestle into the breast of Star Trek The Next Generation. Is that Jean-Luc Picard? Yes, he's my captain. Or, sorry, um, uh, yeah, but per, uh, portrayed by Sir, Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> mm -hmm. Put some yeah. respect on his name. I did, man. I wasn't going to miss that. I got you. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, then I guess we can uh, go ahead and tease next week. Um, one more shout out to Patreon here. If you'd like to join our show and support it, you can do it at patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema as little as a dollar per episode, as much as I don't, I don't think there is a limit, but our, our, uh, give backs to you end around $10. So if you got 10 bucks a week, throw it at us. That'd be great because, um, this Sunday, the 21st, we've got our bonus review of Citra crazy from knee deep coming out, uh, next Sunday, the 28th, we are, uh, dropping our second installment of our Making Movies 101. We're going to be dis demystifying the uh, director of photography or the cinematographer. And on our regular episode, if uh, none of that appeals to you, if you still want to give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. We're going to be drinking beers from Slice Brewing Company out of Lincoln, California. Big shout out to James Rucker for hooking us up with those. And we're going to be covering Chloe Zhao's Nomadland starring Francis McDormand and Judas and the Black Messiah, which is now available on HBO Max. Um, we're blending 2020 and 2021 as we get to sort of the end of our film coverage of 2020. It's been sort of a weird year. Obviously, there are still a lot of films coming out. So we're doing our best to, uh, you know, kind of keep up and also stay current. So um, watch those movies, get some beers in you. And if you uh, run out of content of ours, go back and listen to other stuff. Or again, join us on Patreon. We got bonus content going all the way back to 2016. So you're going to be uh, you're going to be up to the gills in Fresh Hop Cinna goodness. Johnny Summers, anything else besides the... Well, actually, maybe you want to give Bailey the shout-out this week. I was going to say, uh, this show would not be anything close, <laughs> nor would Max be anything close <laughs> to what he is without the love and undying support 
of one Bailey Minardi. That again is Johnny Summers. That's Max Minardi. We love you guys. Enjoy, drink good beer, and be good to each other. We'll see you next week. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.